hello and welcome to a special edition of the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. I'm Amy McDonald, yoga student, teacher, and yoga business coach. In this special episode, I'm taking you inside the Business of Yoga speaker series where you'll meet yoga teachers, experts, and entrepreneurs from all over the world. I'm not kidding. We're going to Melbourne, Singapore, London, Barcelona, San Francisco, New York, and more talking all things growing your yoga business. I hope you love learning from my guests as much as I enjoyed interviewing them. And if you do, please leave a review for this podcast. Enjoy. Hey folks, it's Amy McDonald here. Welcome back to the Business of Yoga speaker series. Heads up, my fabulous guest and I both have our own internet connectivity uh, grunties happening today. So we're just going to put that out there. I'm confident, however, that even if we do go patchy, the content is going to be well worth the hiccups. Folks, please join me in welcoming David Regalan to the series. Welcome, David. Thank you, Amy. Nice to meet you. So Online. nice to meet you, right? Yes. Um, and I'm going to read your bio so people know if they haven't, they might recognize your face because you've been, you know, you're, you're one of those people at the top. But I'm going to read out your bio just so that everybody gets a better sense of who you are. So, folks, David is a traveling yoga teacher. He's based in New York City which is just such a pulsing yoga hub. I'm a little bit jealous. David is a powerful voice, an eloquent and skillful teacher who is sought after for his workshops and teachers intensives. His unique talent for simple yet precise articulation of form and technique, Jai, echo, echo in the bodies and minds of his students. I want to talk about that and, and how less is often more with verbal cues. I'm excited to nerd out with you, David, about that. As a young teacher, David was at the forefront of what became a popular trend of choreographed vinyasa classes to the sound of live music. He created that multi-intenso experience, a class that garnered a cult following in New York City. Multi-intenso was a technique-based athletic and dynamic style of yoga centered around handstands. Holy smokes. Over time, David's reflective nature and incessant personal investigation to the potential transformative powers of the yoga practice uh, led him to a more comprehensive approach to how physical form relates to psychological and emotional states. Inclined towards the mystical and timeless, greatly influenced by intensive study with Naveen Mishan, David's practice and teaching has evolved into a more refined adaptation of how an asana practice can integrate profound mind-body awareness. Impressive and all-encompassing bio. I like it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, and you know, one of the things that really jumps out when I read that, David, is how um, what you offer as a yoga teacher transforms and evolves over time. The, the, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, my practice has changed over time. And so, you know, what I'm teaching is always, you know, based off of what I'm practicing. So, yeah. So I've changed, my practice has changed, my, you know, I've made a lot of mistakes and I've learned a lot from those mistakes over the years. And so I integrate that into my teaching and, and it changes. Yeah, it's unfolding day by day. You know, that's a very, that, that would be a profound statement for someone who's, you know, been voted amongst the top 100 yoga teachers to say straight off the bat in an interview, you know what, I've made a bunch of mistakes and I've learned from them that's going to be liberating for a bunch of people that are watching this interview. It's powerful. 
Well, yeah. I mean, when you're a new teacher, you're studying and you're taking the advice of senior teachers and you repeat what they say and it sounds like they have an authority and that there's a lineage behind it. And it seems like it makes sense because everybody else is following along. And, uh, and, and so you offer it and then you have your own experience with it. And then based on that experience, you start to reevaluate it. And so some of the thing, very things that are taught to be correct and to be the most safe were also somewhat injurious. Um, and so what I realized down the line was that I was learning a lot of techniques and techniques are like tools and you need more than one tool in your toolbox. So I was using a hammer for every job. And so then everything got hammered flat and uh, I realized I need to learn how to use a screwdriver and a saw and sandpaper and polish, et cetera. So um, to run away with that metaphor. So <clears throat> I just had to learn more techniques and realize that I was, that, that a lot of what I was learning wasn't actually, um, the safest or the best way to do it is just one approach. And you, you always need more than one approach um, to do whatever you're doing. So, and, and do you think that that just comes with time, that level of under, like experience and time? Or is there a way to, or what would you suggest to someone who, who's picking up this lesson but then is thinking, well, how, I mean, how do I make sure that I'm not, I, I thought I wasn't just using the hammer, but maybe I am. And how do I check in to know? Um, well, I think, it, you know, people often are sort of dismissive of the influence that social media has on yoga, but I find that, uh, it's actually good to see that there's like physiotherapists and gymnasts and acrobats and, uh, movement specialists or movers, whatever they call themselves, they're weighing in and all kind of like sharing ideas. And now you're not just, you don't just have your one local studio or mm -hmm. teacher who followed some other teacher, who followed some other teacher in that same specific style or lineage. Uh, now people's eyes are open and you can really see, you know, there's a lot, you have a lot more exposure. Um, and so that's a good thing, actually. It can be overwhelming or it sounds daunting, but um, I think because there's a lot of conversations happening that, uh, I don't know, I think very rapidly we can kind of like certain things that we took it to be the only way we can see that there's, there's many more possible you know, approaches. Um, and that only adds longevity. Having more than one approach adds longevity to your practice and to your teaching. I agree. In fact, I tell my client, like my clients, like go to all the classes, even like you learn so much from going to the bad ones, just go to things. For sure. Yeah. You learn what you want to do and you also learn as much about what you don't want to do. Totally. Um, and you can see it. You can see it in the styles that are very defined. Um, the way people walk into the room, the way people like sit down or stand up, you know, like if there's ease in their movement, you can see that, okay, there's something to this style, you know, but if people are very rigid in how they sort of do various like normal mundane things, like just walk across the room or sit down, as I said, um, then there's something perhaps rigid about the practice itself. You know, some people look great in the practice and then running for the bus, not so impressive. So can you still walk? Can you still run? Can you still clean up your home? Can you pick up a child? Can you carry groceries? Can you do very normal activities? Is your practice enhancing your everyday life? I mean, it's a, supposed to be a wellness practice. So, you know, you're not performing, you're not getting paid. No one cares if you can put your legs behind your head or do whatever trick. Um, but it's just for you. So is it helping you? You know, and more than just having a community and having, you know, something that you can show off or, you know, it's cool to, to achieve new things. but um, is it working is the question the proof's in the pudding so so for me if it works i'll keep it and if it doesn't work I'll, I'll toss it off to the side i don't really care if it's considered part of a integrated practice according to 
some style. So I'm like a non-style teacher now, even though I have my own style, I, I don't care to, um, to brand it as such yet. Oh man, I got so, like fireworks of follow-up questions. I don't know which way to go first. Okay, um, well, first I just want to declare that I will never sit at, and wait for the start of class as a student the same again. I never thought about just watching how the teacher walks in and connecting that to what can I learn about this teaching approach. I, I mean, that kind of like blows my mind. I, I am curious to know, though, Dave, you said that you're not a, um, you know, you're not a certain style kind of guy these days. There is something, for me at least, uh, beautiful in yoga in the sense of respect of the teacher and lineage. And um, so, so I think, but I'm curious about how, what do you think about that? And is there a place for still having um, a history or, or uh, a recognisable like um, teachers behind us in, the, in an era of integrating from multiple sources and experiential teaching? Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, and it really depends. Um, I mean, I think these, these, you know, people use the word, they toss around the word evolution and evolution yeah. basically just means it depends on, you know, where you're sourcing it, but let's say etymologically, it just means things unfolding. Yeah. And if you're using it in the Darwinian sense, it's things adapting, um, yeah. over time. And then if you're using it in a sort of new agey sense, it's things are getting better all the time. Um, and I would use it in one of the first two senses, which is that things are unfolding for better or worse, and then or and or things are evolving in the sense that they're adapting to the times, you know. So they adapt in ways that are maybe not so positive. You know, people have shorter attention spans. Is is one idea that we have that so that you know we're not we're making things simpler just to sort of appease people, making the classes shorter because you know people don't have the attention span to hang in there for an hour and a half. So now they're turning into, you know, shorter classes and this, the philosophy is being dumbed down, watered down, et cetera. Um, but at the same time, there are intelligent people out there who are um, adapting. They're adapting based on new information. They're adapting based on new scientific research, based on exposure to different disciplines. There are people who are, you know, multidisciplinary and accomplished in those disciplines. So people come from a, you know, an accomplished martial arts background and they come from and they try yoga and they kind of like lend that to it or dance etc yes um they say say well look this is what we do to warm up in this system you should maybe try it in that say how oh, that works like you know or the trend now in like uh mobility where it's like um evaluating or at least balancing your passive mobility passive flexibility with your active mobility i think that's a positive and, and if you there needs to be some explanation around that i'm happy to provide that but um, I think that that's like a positive part of the evolution of yoga. You know, I mean, the downside might be, and I try to minimize how much I talk about this because I've sort of grown tired of it anyway, but, um, you know, the downside of it is that uh, it's, the, the potency has been diminished to a certain degree, you know, that the introspective nature of yoga, it's all very extroverted and very showy and people are sort of, it's I might have lost some of that for in the way it's represented to people, which maybe is sort of sad, but oh, but I think actually it's yeah. I, I actually think it's great. Um, like I think we've widened the mouth of the funnel, 
and yeah. and so the possibility of people who may not have come before because they have some app that gives them five minutes of yoga before bed right and then maybe they get to the bottom of the funnel and and whatever that looks like so i kind of think yeah. that it's not everybody will you know filter people out some people but i like the fact that I take your point about does evolution mean simplification to its detriment, but I kind of think not necessarily, not necessarily. I mean, I think I think it go both ways. I think there's yes. a positive and a negative side. Yeah, and, and I don't really think that. I mean, I'm I'm sort of playing devil's advocate here, saying that if if there's some downside to the way yoga has turned out or or seems these days, then uh, you know someone might argue that it's those things. But I, I I would agree with you that it's fine if someone does five minutes or you know whatever brings you in, whatever gets you into your body. Yeah, for sure. There's a class I, for everybody. Yeah, or an app, or someone to or follow on Insta or whatever. Yeah. So I um, so I mean, we've only just met, and I'm so grateful for your time. One of the things that I'm loving already is that like you're a big thinker and you're prepared to be controversial. I'm getting that vibe, um, which I think, um, which I think you know. Uh, full disclosure, I get. Personally, I get I find a lot of stuff that is in the new age movement rather tedious. I'm not a new age person, bless them, have at it. I'm never gonna wear myself a pair of feather earrings. It's just not how I roll. However, and 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 so, you know, and, and like you said, there's there's space for everybody. Um, but I do think that sometimes um people can be avoidant of difficult conversations because oh that's not what a if you're a good yoga, if you're a good yogi, you're accommodating, you don't rock the boat you you look to make like there's a fair uh, it feels to me like there's a degree of codependency in the yoga industry which in terms of business shows up like undercharging letting your students you know um get away with breaching terms and conditions extending class passes way beyond their due date all this sort of stuff and i actually i'm interested in uh, enjoying your conversation your voice because it has a firmness to it that i think is important that in fact um, like yoga also has rigor and structure and formality and um, uh, boundaries. I wonder, yeah. I mean, you're you're in a hub of um, famous yoga people where 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 you're where you live in the world. Um, I imagine that you come across the the spectrum of that. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how do you show up as a yoga teacher in a way that's palatable to folks, but also not. I don't know, um, giving away too much of your own power. Hmm. Well, I mean, I have two different modes, basically. I teach group classes and trainings and things that are open to the public where um, people come to me. And then I also teach privately where I come to people. Mm. And when I teach privately, uh, you know, it's a one-on-one -on -one situation. Sorry, there's um, like a motorcycle gang going by. It's totally good for local color. I like it. Okay. <laughs> These kids, they ride on dirt bikes around our neighborhood and the police aren't allowed to chase them because it's too dangerous. Um, and they go in like a pack and there's like a hundred of them and they look like they're having a great time and they're going down my block right now. <laughs> okay, they're gone. Perfect. Um, so when I show up to a private, you know, I'm meeting them exactly where they are. I'm looking at their body and I'm seeing what they can do and what they can't do. I want to know what they want and I'm combining that with what they need. And so I create, you know, I'm sort of like trying to like deliver them a practice that's going to work precisely for them. And when people come to me, you know, you're sort of averaging this group together 
is one approach. You know, you're sort of looking at the rooms like, okay, here's where we are and here's where most of you are. And so if 70% can follow along with this and the 30% uh, can follow them and when they can, I'll offer modifications or variations, et cetera. Um, and then there's another style of class where you set the program and you're very clear about what it is. And, um, and then it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it is what it is. So it's like you're entering, like if it was a dance class or something, you're entering like, you know, ballet class, advanced ballet or intermediate ballet. And if someone's not up to par, then you just look at them and talk to them like an adult respectfully. And you say like, maybe this isn't the ideal class for you. And here's another one that would be better for you, et cetera. And so they come to you basically. So, mm. so when people come to me, um, I have a style. I mean, I do have a style and I have, and there's, and I have a lot of techniques that I offer and I have a very, um, solid idea of what alignment means to me and the importance of it and for me alignment is about centering and symmetry and not about becoming perfectly centered or perfectly symmetrical but that you're doing to the right what you do to the left and you're um taking care of the front of the body as well as the back of the body and the upper body and the lower body so there's it's all about like um creating like a holistic sense of using your body rather than playing to your strengths etc um, and then I teach with very, uh, in, in, in a format that's very, I, I measure out the breaths and I, um, my sequencing is very symmetrical. Like I don't do long choreographed sequences, although there's a whole choreography to the entire arc of the class. Yes. yes. Um, and people are allowed to modify to make things simpler. And I'd rather that than people adding on or embellishing on the class. Um, especially because if they're new to my class, they don't know where I'm going with it. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I hold the space in that sense that, like, um, I mean what I say and I do things very intentionally. It's not a free flow class, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's, a, that's just not the class that I offer. So um, I've, you know, every now and again, I'll approach a student who's doing, like, entirely their own thing in my class, and I'll quietly approach them in, in the nicest voice possible while still leading the class that, you know, <laughs> you need to do your own class or warm up. There's another room outside of this and you're welcome to go do that. And when you're ready to come join us, you can, you're more than welcome to come back in when you're ready. Like I get it. Someone might have their own specific warm up they need to do or something, but like I am leading this class and it's designed very specifically. And so if someone's not down all along that, then they're just not in the right class or they can come out, leave the class and come back when they're ready. So I don't mind like holding the space like that, but I'm not like a, I, I don't I don't want to be mean about it and I don't respond well to like teachers who are really stern or really mean or you know I'm cracking jokes and trying to keep it light but um but I have a design to my class and I think about it and I put a lot of work into it so um so if people are there to take the class great and if not then you know I think a lot of people go to class to be seen some people go to class to be seen practicing and not necessarily like learn or have an experience that's you know created by somebody else so that blows yeah. my mind that that would actually that that's a tree i wow really people were actually going to look like go to, for the look at me factor do you think every now and again i don't want to make wow. it more than it is but every now and again people will um yeah but anyway that's, that's not really my point but you your original question was um how do you uh sorry one more time so it's all sort of about i think you answered it very well particularly with that example of how do you still be show up with grace be compassionate meet people where they're at and also actually what i would say like hold the role of teacher like you are the authority in the room at that time 
And so balancing yeah. those two traits, I guess. Yeah, I mean, assuming you, and I think this happens, this should be something that evolves or takes place very gradually when you've been teaching a number of years. I mean, I think if you're a newer teacher and you try to like hold that space in that way, it can sound, I mean, it can seem sort of preposterous, especially if someone taking your class has been practicing yoga a long time and they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like just, you should know where you are. But I, I don't know, many people have been practicing much longer than me, but I've been practicing since you know 1999 or something like that so it's been a little while and um and so that's there that you know that history is behind me when i enter into a, a room to teach so i don't i don't expect anybody to have any like oh the teacher is here let's all be quiet and you know bow to me or something like that but like you know for this hour or an hour and 15 minutes however long the class is like hear me out and uh if it's not your kind of class then there's no reason for you to come back again but if there's yeah. something interesting in it then great i'd love to see you again you know yeah um, yeah i think that i think that's great that level of um like it's non-attachment it's not detached but it's not that oh no my self-worth is completely consumed with how much people respond to my teaching <laughs> which is a trait for new teachers i think it so. is yeah and you know your heart will get broken and mine did when i was first started teaching i mean while you're teaching you know like you see you if you're looking at the expression on people's faces while you're doing things like oh no you don't want to do this next thing that we're doing and you try to change mold your teaching based on that i mean it's important that you know you're teaching inside out like if you're teaching something you should have done that thing so you you've had that experience you know and that doesn't mean that you know what other people are experiencing but like you can really you can stand behind it in that way mm. um but yeah i am detached i mean i go in there and uh you know if people love it i mean obviously that makes me feel good but like i don't let it make me t feel too good because the day that somebody like tries to tear it apart then you know you're going to question your you know everything that you're doing and, and some of it might be really solid I also think I'm that the screen just because it keeps going dark, but yeah. <laughs> um, I also think that um, from a student perspective, some of the most profound classes I've been to where I've had the sort of career kind of, well, that changed everything are the ones that I didn't like. Yeah, for like, sure. You know, the, all of that, yeah, I mean, get into the psoas and all of that stuff. I hate it, but there we have it. I'm a new person at the end. Well, a good teacher is going to get you to go where you wouldn't have even yeah. thought of going yourself, most likely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? And that's what boundaries do. And, and so otherwise, you know, that's you, you enter a room and, and the door closes, you know, so that you don't run out of it. You know, and you go into a pose and you say five breaths or whatever breaths so you don't get out of it when you feel like getting out of it. You get out of it after the five breaths are done. And in that process, you learn something, you know, about the pose, about yourself, about your own psychology, you know. And, and that's what yoga does. It creates boundaries for people, you know. And, and that's what, you know, being in a handstand does, for example. It's like, you think about something totally unrelated to what you're doing, you're probably going to fall out of it, you know? I mean, it's funny to even, like, reflect on, like, what thought did I have right before I fell out of this balancing posture? <laughs> so yoga, the, the whole design of the practice is to, like, get you to be somewhere for a little bit longer than you are comfortable being, you know, in general. And then through that, there's growth. And then all of a sudden, you're more comfortable being there for longer. And then you find something else, you know? Mm, mm, love it. I totally agree. So, so you talk about being in alignment. I would describe myself as an alignment based teacher. You talk about alignment as well. A lot of people don't know what that even means. And I suspect it means different things for different people. 
Yeah. What does having a focus on alignment, what does that mean for you? Uh, well, it's, uh, in, to put it simply, uh, putting things in their right place. Um, you know, if you, let's say, to give an example, like if you are on an airplane and it's a long flight and you fall asleep with your head cocked off to the side uh, and you wake up, just putting your head on straight, yeah. it's it's a whole thing to do, you know? <laughs> or you're sitting in a seat and in the same flight and you're slouching down on the seat and the seatbelt sign goes off and now you can get up and get your luggage and not everybody stands all the way upright once again, you know? So it's, it's I think of yoga as like a postural reset in a sense, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, um, how do you kind of undo what, what happens to you that isn't necessarily... Um, and it's not that these things are wrong, you know, like there's nothing wrong with like being in a posterior tilt in your pelvis or being in flexion. The only thing having your spine in flexion and like, you know, people say, oh, you don't want to sit over a computer rounding your back. Well, if you sit in front of a computer extending your spine, you're also going to have back aches. But the thing is, what did you just do for a long period of time without realizing you were doing it? Mm -hmm. So you didn't do the complementary movement to that. And yeah. so that took you off center, you know? People have a whole history behind them of being injured, uh, either from, you know, like a trauma, like an accident or something like that, or just, you know, like a, a job hazard type of thing, where you just use one arm to do whatever you're doing or clicking a mouse or, you know, et cetera. And so, like, it creates this, like, asymmetry in your body. And I think what alignment does is it kind of, like, teaches your brain to teach your body to be ambidextrous, more or less, to have, like, two good sides, you know? That there is no wrong side to you. Uh, so I like to think of alignment as not as like um, learning how to do things right as opposed to doing things wrong, but it's just learning how to do things that you forgot that you either forgot that you used to be able to do or never learned how to do just because of circumstances. Hmm. It's kind of nebulous though, isn't it? Like it's... And it, it, uh, well, it sort of throws up a whole lot more questions for me. I mean, when you said about one side of you is, it's not like one side of you is right and one side of you is wrong. Instantly, I thought of my nana who always talks about her good knee and her bad knee. Like in her mind, she's got the good side and right. the bad side and she plays to it and probably exacerbates right. the weakness in the, in the bad side. So I think, you know, that's really compelling. And then I, and then I also think of my sister who's got scoliosis and, and then, then how you, you even use the word symmetry when in fact like you said earlier, I think like no one's actually symmetrical anyway. And I think as right. for me as in the role of teacher, the more I have these sorts of great conversations, the more I'm kind of nervous about, the more I realise how little I know and the greater the burden feels of or the responsibility feels of, gosh, I could tell someone to do something that's going to, that's going to be in, injurious, I think is the word, like it's going to hurt them is, or is potentially putting them at some kind of risk. It's a, like the individuality of the body is, is sure. so interesting and how you apply a system or a non-system that, that could possibly work for everybody. I mean, it's sort of, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And yet that's what we do. Right. And, and, and that's why, you know, you, ultimately when you're teaching a class you, you have to know that you're giving sort of generic information yeah. it's a general it's like in general uh you need to think about externally rotating your shoulder um as you lift your arms overhead 
uh, but you're talking to somebody who's double jointed and you don't have to mention that or you have to like yeah. whisper in their ear. But for you, it's a little bit different. I mean, we also assume everybody's so stiff, so we need to pull them apart. And some people are a combination of being, you know, stiff in certain areas and hypermobile in other areas or completely hypermobile or completely stiff or whatever it is. And so ultimately um, what I try to teach is, I, I try to use the word, what I try to do is emphasize more uh, form, you know, that yeah. you're looking to like reform yourself and uh, without paying attention, there's always the potential to, if you will, like deform yourself, you know, like that you stand on the one leg, you know, and that you lock into that one hip or that knee joint and that changes the shape of the joint or it injures the tissue, the soft tissue in the joint, et cetera. Um, your grandmother, or you mentioned having like the good leg or the bad leg. I mean, we all have a, we're all dominant in one hand, let's say, and we're also mm. dominant in one foot. And if you were playing a sport, let's say you would say, well, put the ball in your good hand and throw with that. And you wouldn't think to, I mean, maybe modern coaches are different, but you wouldn't be throwing the ball in the other hand. True. Um, maybe in your off season, if you had a good coach, you will, because, you know, even yeah. boxers will do that. They'll stand in the opposite stance in their off season and train in that way, at least part of the time. Um, but, uh, you know, what you're doing is you're doing the postures on both sides of the body. So yeah, you don't just yeah. put your good foot forward and do warrior, warrior one. You do your other side forward as well. But you're going to have to pay more attention on one side than the other. You know, if you're going to demo some pose, likely you're going to show the good side of it. But hopefully in your own practice, you're doing both sides of it, of the posture. The person with the scoliosis, no, we're not. The word perfect shouldn't even enter the picture. Uh, but it's just about like, okay, so the lean is to the right. Are we going to continue to lean more to the right? Or are we going to make an effort to lean a little bit more to the left? Are we expecting to see in an x-ray that the scoliosis disappeared? No, but it, you know, mm. how, does it keep going further in the direction? Because that's what scoliosis tends to do over the time, keeps going more and more in that direction. And I think there are ways to, to mitigate that to a certain mm. degree. Um, and so somebody with, with very different proportions or different shape to their body um, than everybody else might need, you know, some private instruction or, or cueing or, you know, not necessarily ongoing private classes, but at least like somebody to lend them their eye and be like, you know, for you, it's a little bit different. And it's going to go a little something like this, you know. So good. Thanks for like indulging my nerdy questions. I'm I'm having a great time. So thanks so much. I the, uh, one more thing I want to dig at then a little bit is I often have conversations with people that what is a private class? Is it a class or is it yoga therapy? Now from uh, my teacher and what, where I've come from, essentially, if you're teaching well as an alignment practitioner, there is an element of yoga therapy in class because if someone's got an injury, you do this prop that do, you know whatever whatever. But for other people who might come more from a, a fairly, you know, more of a, a flow kind of tradition, the idea of being able to look at someone and say, try this or that or modify for the individual, they might not have that skill set. But what, would you describe when you're working with people one-on-one -on -one that it's yoga therapy or is it private classes that have a therapeutical, therapeutic approach to them? Uh, it depends on the individual. Yeah. Um, and you're also managing expectations. So, yeah. uh, I'll, you know, so I'm going to say to be like, you know, I, I just really need to get in shape. And I'm looking at them and I'm seeing like one shoulder up here. And like, you know, they just never learned any, they've never had any kind of postural study in their life. And so I'm like, okay, so I know that I've got to kind of kick your butt a little bit. You're not going to ask me to come back and teach you again. So I'll include like a fair amount of calisthenics 
Um, and then once they're kind of whipped up or worn out a little bit or they're tired out a little bit, then I'll introduce like uh, some seated postures, let's say, and I'll put my, I'll sit them down, let's say in like Baddha Konasana, their legs like in a diamond shape. And I'll say, okay, sit up straight. And, I'll, and oftentimes if we're in a gym or in their house, there's a mirror nearby and I'll put them in front of a mirror and be like, okay, um, I'm going to put my feet in the back. I'm going to center you. And, um, but I want you to close your eyes. So I put my feet on their back and I put my foot on the one side of their back. It's kind of falling backwards. And you can see that they're sitting on one side of their butt and it's getting kind of flat. <laughs> yeah. and I'll prop them up and center them. And then they'll say, that's the middle. And I'll say, now open your eyes and look in the mirror. I'll have someone take a photo or something. And it's, you know, if you didn't show them in the mirror or if you didn't have a photograph to show them, they wouldn't believe you that they were now you know, mm. in the center of themselves, you know, sitting on both sitting bones, their head balanced over their hips, et cetera. So uh, that's when you gain, you intrigue them a little bit. And they're like, wow. Uh, and then you can reason them, you can rationalize them. They're like, look, if you really want to be strong, then you don't want to be doing everything, you know, 70% on one side of your body and 30% on the other side of your body. So when you use your body as a whole, then you'll be, feel much stronger and we'll move forward much quicker and get more gains or whatever it is you're looking for. Um, so, you know, you have to be kind of subversive and sort of appeal to what they want and then, you know, add in what they need. And, you know, and what they want is part of what they need as well. So I, I wouldn't totally dismiss, like, you know, if someone says, like, it, you know, if someone doesn't feel powerful in their body, then, you know, they should want, they should feel that, you know. So if they don't feel that, like, you, I think as a teacher, you can give them a way to feel that. Um, but it might not be... You know, you might not take the avenue they would have chosen, but but maybe you you know you include something from that. So I like if, they, that. if they're expecting to sweat, then you know you can make them sweat. You know, and then at a certain point, like, and it might be a few sessions in, um, mm -hmm. but that you, you it usually takes me a little while to get sort of pique people's interest in the alignment aspect of it, and it's usually when they want to learn. They're like, they saw something on Instagram, some you know. They want to do a handstand. Okay, so lift your arm up alongside with your ears. They can't get their arm in an overhead position. I'm like, okay, so we need to mobilize your shoulders. You know, so we're going to change your downward facing dogs and spend a little bit more time in downward facing dog. But uh, you know, I've tried it where I come full on with like the nerdy alignment stuff in the first session. People are like, that was so great. Thank you so much. And you never see them again. So, <laughs> you know, so I know I got to do what I got to do to you know pique their interest. And, and that's that's part of your job as a teacher you know if you think about it in any other scenario if you're a, te a school teacher teaching children it's like it's not just that you know math well you have to make it interesting for the children so like you have to meet their them where they are now i'm teaching adults not children but you still have to meet them where they are and so it's like what do you want what do you expect from this and so like okay and like well here's where here's what i can do for you and uh and then you start like sneaking in other things you know yeah, I, I and, love and, there's, and there's plenty of people who are into or like, you know, I misaligned, please fix me. And they're and they're barely misaligned. And it's really like not the issue, actually. And really what they need is a kick in the ass. And they need to do some like calisthenics, you know, <laughs> they, they're just like not integrated, you know, like I've seen plenty of people in like alignment classes who are like, like they are they're always looking for this fix, you know, and really what it is, is just kind of like set alignment aside and just like get on with it for a little yeah. while. And yeah, it can become like a neurotic sort of obsession that people have. <laughs> if you can relate, I just I, no. I think I'm thinking of myself sometimes. Like I'll be self practice, self practice. I don't notice, and then I show up at a class and realize I am fidgeting in this. Like Amy, get there and stay there. Like down dog, stop. Like a bit more anterior, a bit more. Of the, just get there and stay. 
Like I get, I can get right. very that's but neurotic about just a bit more here and a bit more of this and knock yeah. it off. Well, well, I teach like ten different down dogs, you know. Mm. So if if ever anybody asks me that question, like what's correct, you know, that as soon as somebody that like it's like you know, it's like a red light if somebody says like what's the correct way of doing this or, or any kind of question like along those lines. It's like well, there's this way and there's this way and this way, and you should have more than one way, you know, if you're doing your down dog like an Iyengar person or like an Ashtanga person or like a Vinyasa or a Nusara, whatever it is, like if that's your only down dog, like how many down dogs do you do? You have one? It doesn't make any sense. So yeah. I think as long as people, you know, control is the key. Like do you have control over what you're doing, you know? And then someone can make the argument, sure, then you should do it, you know, at least have one dog where you're like not in control. Like, you know, if you're a control kind of person where you're just yeah. kind of like, let the down dog happen. Like let it be really intuitive, you know, like feel it out. And, and then and then come into form you know and then feel it out again and then come into form you know and that's and you, it's only going to like make you appreciate more the what you've learned about how to do your down dog in whatever way that you do it if you like leave form and then come back into form you know if you're always trying to yeah. stick yourself in like you're a lego you know sticking your heels into the ground and planting your palms and rotating this and this and this i mean the same rotation of the joint that you were using that brought you into alignment like you know practicing in a long term 10 years later that's the same rotation that kind of like starts to wear down the tissue totally. in the joint yeah absolutely you know? yeah so it's but but for the first eight years it was perfect you know yeah. and then on year nine it was kind of like uh, i don't know about this so it's like you know people then go to the like yo i know a lot of yogis who just go to the gym and lift weights now and it's just like building up there yeah and that's a good thing you know and, and that and that should in my you know People are always like, oh, well, yoga, if you, if you lose the boundaries of what yoga is, if you start adding weights and da-da-da to it, then it's like, what is yoga really? And I'm like, for me, all these, I'm not, in a, I'm not a different, I'm not, I don't have a different brain or a different spirit when I run or if I lift weights or do calisthenics or do a classical yoga practice. I'm like the same guy. Yeah. I'm in the same mode, you know? Yeah. I really am. And so, like, I think eventually, like, mindful body, mind, movement practices are, you know, if it's not yoga, fine, but, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm into. So I have no allegiance to whatever it used to look like. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm dismissing it, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you can have gratitude for what's come before and also sort of forge your own path. For sure. I mean, you see the effects that, you know, the first Westerners that learned like these classical lineages and you can see now a lot of them are growing older and you, you find out if you know people who know them that, uh, and this is not to make fun of anybody or, or say that they did anything, you know, that, they, that they, were, they wasted any part of their life or anything like that, but people have like hip replacements and back surgeries and things like that. And so you have to be like, okay, so are we looking now at how we were learning this practice and reevaluating it? And if so, great. And, and let's keep the good things, but keep, mm. you know, like, reevaluate if, if it's worth something it's worth reevaluating you know mm. and otherwise it's like you're just looking at people who are like teaching this practice who probably don't even a lot of them don't even do the practice anymore but they stick to the books and they're kind of like but why you know if you couldn't keep it up why should we keep it up you know so if i can't keep it up i'm not going to teach it you know i'll leave it to somebody else to teach that you know, they say, if I'm not doing something, I'm, I'm just probably not going to be teaching it if I decided not to do it. You know, I'm like, uh, I don't know about that. I mean, it's different if there's some very specific reason, like, well, 
you know, I broke my ankle doing playing squash or whatever like that. So I don't teach X pose, you know, I mean, I'll still teach that pose, but yeah, I like running and then I do Lotus and then I run the next day and my knees feel like, I don't feel like I'm in control of my knees and I'll like reevaluate how I do Lotus or even if I do Lotus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, humans are designed to run more than we are to do a Lotus. Do Padmasana. Yeah. And this human ain't designed for Padmasana at all. So. Yeah. yeah. And some people tips just don't do it for sure. Exactly. <laughs> David, it's been so great talking with you. I'm conscious of time. Um, I could not imagine time better spent than doing some um, teacher tune-up kind of time with you. And I know that's, that teacher intensives is one of the things that you offer. How can we find you and stay up to date with your offerings so we don't miss out on learning more from you? Yeah, um, thank you for asking. Uh, I'm on Instagram, David Reglin Yoga. Um, you can find me there. I have a website, um, www www.davidreglinyoga.com um, yeah. and under the um, events um, and workshops and I also post online on Instagram uh, you can see I offer many um, 30-hour immersions a year uh, I have one in um, uh, sequencing and cueing and another one in adjusting and I have a 200-hour um, uh, training like to get your 200 hours that's you can be your first training but it could also just be yeah. like not necessarily a do-over, but uh, you can consider it like, you know, an addition to what you've already learned likely in your 200-hour training. And I, I've yet to find the, the dates for that, um, to post the dates for that, but that's coming soon. So all that information can be found online. Yeah. I love the idea of doing 30 hours of sequencing and or 30 hours of adjusting. I think that that would just, those two modules in themselves would be, for someone who did the sort of, I don't know enough about yoga to make a great choice about my first 200 hours, and you know that yeah. you come out the end and go, oh, now I know I need to know more about this, and I need to know more about that. I mean, they're two things that get talked about a lot that people just don't have the confidence in. Yeah. For sure, you can do so much with your words. And so when I teach that sequencing and cueing one, it's one of my favorites because, like, the, the design of the sequence itself, and then the cues get people to self-adjust, and that's like the best gift. You know, it's like teach a man to fish or a woman to fish. You know, it's like yeah. teach people to self-adjust. That's the best gift you can give them. But there's some things they can't see, and it's the same reason that like somebody who's a great like you know can cut hair really well you still get somebody else to cut their hair, at least the back of it, because you can't see your back. You know. Yeah. And you can't see your, you can't walk around yourself, you know? So there are adjustments, even if they're very subtle and sometimes they're not so subtle, that you can give people that help people center themselves. And so then they move forward from there. But really, they do all the moving. So I don't teach the kind of adjustments where you like lay on top of people or squish people into postures, but it's really just like learning, teaching them to orient themselves with your hands and sometimes with your feet. So yeah, if you're a teacher out there and you just want to add a little, uh, nuance to your training then come find me i'd be happy to, uh, to work okay. with you give us your links again david so that people can find you uh david reglin yoga on instagram and, and also uh, on the web and also on the web yes exactly awesome thank you so much um like i thank said before so for, like indulging my nerd i just really value getting to speak to someone who does the big thinking on this stuff um and brings that level of depth and integrity to the practice it's been a delight thank you Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. Feeling inspired, ready to grow your own yoga business? If you're ready to share your yoga with the people who really need what you have to offer, growing your yoga business with more ease, flow, abundance, and support, 
Check out my six-month yoga business training program, Growing Your Yoga Biz, at amymcdonald.com.au forward slash growing your yoga biz. Use coupon code bizofyoga when you check out for $500 off. Enrollments are open right now. Namaste.